You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we are going to preview the Marlins series against the Cubs at home against Chicago. And uh, not a good Chicago team right now. Not a great Marlins team, but the Cubs are even worse. Uh, That lineup is crazy bad. Uh, So it should be the opposite of a barn burner, but you never know. You never know with these kind of series how it's going to go, but it will be an opportunity for the Marlins to see what they've got with Lozardo again. I know he had a bad start against the Rockies in Colorado. Not too worried about that. His first start was pretty strong. Let's see how he bounces back against a weak lineup, and then we should see Eliezer Hernandez in the back end of this series as well. So I'm going to discuss a little bit of the pitching situation. Also, Zach Thompson. Three players I want to talk about going to go into each of them, especially Thompson and Hernandez as to how they can fit into the picture next year, especially with now seeing them down the stretch. This is going to be a really important stretch for them and for the Marlins to kind of understand what they have here. Then I also wanted to talk about a couple of the bullpen arms that I think will make some sense for next year. How about Stephen O'Kurt? He has been a really pleasant surprise. And then also Paul Campbell's back and he's actually doing well in a more limited role, in a one-inning relief role. He's been much better than trying to be stretched out as a starter. That might be a good sign as to how the Marlins can use him moving forward. Maybe he'll be good in just a relieving spot rather than trying to stretch out and have to mix it up more with more pitches. But Campbell has been really good since coming back from his suspension after testing positive for performance-enhancing drugs. And I also just want to talk a little bit about the team and how they have looked as of late. Alex Jackson, sometimes showing flashes of what we can see from him, but at the same time, he's also struck out 15 times in his last 30 at-bats, so a bit of a struggle for him at the plate, but he's a young catcher that the Marlins can experiment with right now in the meantime. Speaking of experiments, the Marlins have been putting Jorge Alfaro in left field, and I want to discuss that a little bit as well. So plenty of talking points today, and also De La Cruz. Brian De La Cruz has shown some flashes, and I think he has proven that he's a big league outfielder, uh, whether that is a fourth outfielder or an average regular that remains to be seen, but to get him, even if he's a fourth outfielder for Yimmy Garcia, a couple months of Yimmy Garcia, great trade for the Marlins. And uh, I'll make my case as to why I think at the very least he's a fourth outfielder and a huge upgrade over the Marlins fourth outfielders over the last couple seasons, like a Magnara Sierra or some of the other guys that they've had in that fourth outfield position. Let's start, though, with this series against the Cubs, and there is no sugarcoating how bad the Cubs are. I mean, it's one of the worst lineups I've seen in a long time, but we know that rarely matters for the Marlins. They'll pitch well against a team like the Padres and then get just blasted by a team like the Rockies. So you just don't know. You don't know how it's going to go, and it's not going to be the most exciting series ever, but you got to find the storylines within it because that's really where we're at in the season. It's finding the storylines of where does Brian De La Cruz fit into the future? Is Lewis Brinson going to continue this torrid pace that he has been on over the last 15-plus games? Uh, Where are these pitchers going to fit in? How good are they going to look down the stretch here to make it difficult on the Marlins in the offseason? Like the Eliezer Hernandez's, like the Zach Thompson's, and even 
Jesus Lizardo. Obviously, Lizardo is going to be a big part of the team's future, or at least that's the plan. So there's not as much pressure on him. But at the same time, he needs to throw well down the stretch here to try to parlay that into a spot in the rotation next year. That's not going to just be given to him with all of the talent that the Marlins have. I mean, you could make the case that Jake Eater might be ready by the beginning of next season, and they'll be competing for that spot. But then you also have a lot of other spots that might be filled if Sixto Sanchez is healthy to start the season or early then. That will be another spot that could be taken. Edward Cabrera has been fantastic. He could take that spot. Max Meyer has been unbelievable. He could take another spot. So there are so many guys that could take spots in this rotation. And then that's not even mentioning Eliezer Hernandez, who has been spectacular in his rehab starts. And we'll see how he looks now that he's finally back again and should be starting in game three of the series on the 15th. So there's a lot of pitchers that are using probably this last month here, month and a half, to really be able to solidify or at least bolster their position in the Marlins rotation and pitching future because the reality is there's not enough spots for all of these guys and I expect some of them to get dealt in this offseason. I really do think that Eliezer Hernandez could have been shipped out if he was healthy uh, and I think it could be really helpful for the Marlins if he is able to pitch well down the stretch here, make five maybe six good starts. I think it would be closer to five good starts down the stretch here where then you can kind of show that in the offseason, say, hey, he's healthy now and he looked really good. It might still be hard to get a true value on Eliezer Hernandez, but he's a controllable young pitcher. And yes, even though he has some injury concerns, at least the last injury wasn't arm related, uh, given that it was that hamstring trying to score on, I believe it was a hit and he was trying to come around third, if I'm not mistaken. And I remember he just came up really lame uh, as he was coming into home. And that was really unfortunate because he had worked so hard to get back, but at least it wasn't another arm injury. So we'll see. But I mean, if he throws well, you got to make the case that he could be an intriguing piece, young, controllable, and has shown the ability to pound the strike zone, high floors, a back end of the rotation type arm with a little bit more of a ceiling. So there's something there. The Marlins don't necessarily need him though, because the hope and expectation is that all of your prospects, your top prospects will be better than Eliezer Hernandez, right? You're really hoping that Edward Cabrera will be better than him. You're hoping that Sixo Sanchez will be better than him. You're hoping that Jake Eater will be better than him. And of course, Max Meyer. So really important for those prospects to finish strong as well. But I think the Marlins have a good idea of where they're at there. And a lot of those guys are in the same timeline. I'd say Edward Cabrera could be ready for a call up any day now. I don't know if the Marlins are going to do it because they never call their guys up. And we've kind of seen that with some of their different prospects. And I know that you don't want to start the clock. And maybe with a guy like Edward Cabrera, it's more justifiable. I don't know how you could justify not starting like Bryson Brigman's clock as if that really matters. He's already 26. Just like, let's see what he can do rather than rolling out Devin Marrero and Joe Panic out there all the time. Like I'd much rather see somebody like Bryson Brigman who's swinging it pretty well in AAA and I think has earned it and it brings more to the table and is younger and you want to see what you have. I mean, that would make a lot more sense. He could be kind of John Birdie's replacement if John Birdie continues to be banged up and uh, maybe doesn't look like an option next year. It's been a tough year for John Birdie. Brigman could be a great super utility guy and has really swung the bat well, but that's an entirely different conversation. So let's start with the series. It should be Jesus Lazardo against Adbert Alzale. Alzale is good, so it's going to be a bit of a, a challenge. I mean, he has kind of those back and forth. He's got hot and cold starts because his command is not always there, but the stuff is great. Lizardo, same story. And I'm really excited to see Lizardo back at home, though. I think that 
start, your second start really with the new team and with the struggles that he's had to have to go to cores, unfortunate. And it was not a good start for him. But I think that with the way he pitches his profile, that's the type of pitcher that gets affected more in cores. Uh, you're not going to have as much success with vertical movement. You're going to have more success with horizontal movement in cores. Vertical movement is more affected. And Lizardo is somebody that kind of relies on more vertical movement. So I'm excited to see him now pitch against a weaker lineup, see if that makes him more confident to pound the strike zone. But I don't really think it's a matter of confidence. It's really more a matter of just repeating his mechanics. The arm tends to lag. He either tugs it back over or it just lags behind. We'll see if this is something that improves start to start or if it's something that really he cannot totally turn around until the offseason. But I really expect him to come back at the beginning of next season and look like the Jesus Lizardo. That was a top 10 prospect in baseball. But I am intrigued to see start to start if there's any small adjustments mechanically that we can see. But it really is just timing up with the body. The mechanics are just a bit inconsistent, especially with his arm timing as well. So that is something to watch in this next start. The stuff is undeniable. And if you are, I I would say... I haven't seen too many people do this, but if you are somebody that's kind of pointing at Lizardo and saying, ah, I just don't see it happening. He, he can't throw strikes, whatever, as if it's something that's not curable, as if Sandy Alcantara didn't get sent down his rookie season because of his struggles with command, despite his great stuff. I know Lizardo's are a bit more dramatic, but you could also argue that his stuff is much better in terms of swing and miss, which is almost objectively true at that point. I mean, I know Sandy can get his swings and misses at times, but Lizardo's swing and miss stuff is incredible when it's on. And I mean, you look at the whiff rates on his curveball, his changeup, and even the heater, uh, they're just really impressive when he's around the strike zone. So excited to see Lizardo pitch again and just be patient with him. I mean, what's the rush here, right? Uh, I'm hoping that he makes adjustments start to start, but if it takes the offseason where he can work and be in a more controlled environment, that's just fine as well. But this is a good opportunity for him to just continue to work through things and not have as much pressure to win. I mean, in Oakland, they're trying to win a wild card spot here, and I think they're going to. And Marte, Starling Marte has been phenomenal for them, and I know that's tough to watch, but it just makes sense for the Marlins to make that move. I still defend it because what are you going to do with Starling Marte right now? And you can hope to maybe sign him. At first, I thought that was a bit of a pipe dream, but I think now with the way the Marlins have seen him play, over in Oakland now too, I think you got to really consider giving him a nice offer. Maybe the one extra year is still going to be a problem with the Marlins, and I can kind of understand that given that he's 33, but maybe you go higher on the AAV. Maybe you got to do it. I mean, it's not like it's going to break the bank for you. Uh, it is more expensive on the Marlins spectrum, but they're clearing up a lot of money, and maybe Marte's the guy that you want to spend on. With the price for Brian Reynolds, and I love Brandon Marsh, but if you're going to trade for a prospect, that's not really a guarantee. And as I've said before, the Marlins Marlins can't really mess around anymore. This coming year, they need to make some tangible changes. They need to make a big, big change. And they got to be more competitive next year. I'm not saying playoffs, but they need to be hanging around. They need to be playing meaningful games at this point. At August 13th, I need to still be talking about a path to the postseason. Even if it's a long shot, there's got to be at least some sort of importance on the games because there's nothing worse than indifference. Like, Craig Mish has said that on the show. Indifference is the worst thing that can happen for a team. It's the worst thing that can happen for myself and for Craig. And that's exactly what we've gotten year in and year out besides last year's shortened season, which, you know, you can make of that what you will. Game two, Zach Thompson against Zach Davies. So we got a battle of the Zachs, and both Zachs have not been pitching very well. Uh, Davies is a guy that's going to come out and either dot it up and be pretty good. He's kind of like a Kyle Hendricks light uh, and very light, uh, or he'll get shelled. 
And the Marlins have the ability to shell Zach Davies, no doubt about it, even with this lineup. But Zach Thompson, on the flip side, has struggled a little bit. And I have a little curiosity here with Thompson is I really thought the Marlins should have traded him at the deadline, but maybe there wasn't a level of interest with him because we are a a group of people, I'm assuming you are too now, that we watch Zach Thompson pitch every time and we watch him up close and we've been able to see what he can do when he's going well. But if you haven't really scouted Zach Thompson and you haven't watched him a ton as another team and you look at the numbers and you see, okay, he was good for a handful of starts, but he wasn't good in AAA. Like, what is this? Uh, I don't know if they're going to be as keen on trading for somebody like Zach Thompson. So I'm going to assume the market was rather thin for somebody like him, but I still would have liked to have seen maybe the Marlins try to sell high on him. But again, maybe there just wasn't an opportunity to. The other guy that I think was way more surprising to see them hold on to for me was Richard Blyer. And Blyer has been struggling as well. And apparently there was some interest in Blyer. So I don't think it was a matter of a lack of interest. Maybe the Marlins like how cheap he is and how reliable he is. I do love his bulldog attitude that's really come out this year on the mound. And you know I love Richard Blyer. I mean, that's one of my guys. But if the Marlins could have cashed in, given that the market for relievers was pretty decent, Yimmy Garcia was a rental and got them that. Richard Blyer comes with control and has been consistent as a lefty. That could have been a nice little piece for them to get. They could have got a really high upside, maybe lower level guy, uh, or they could have went the Sergio Romo, Chris Valamont route to go get another bat that's a bit more upside and a bit more exciting prospect wise, but maybe that wasn't there either. So it's hard to comment on those things because we don't know how far trade talks went along, but Blyer struggling now is a bit frustrating, but I think he's going to be just fine and could end up being a piece for the Marlins bullpen next year. But I thought Stephen O'Kurt with what he has done, he's been really good, really tough on lefties and has been able to eat innings. He's not just a guy that can only pitch to lefties. He's been able to go one, one and a third, sometimes two innings if he really needs to. I've been impressed with this guy and I'm excited to see how he continues as well because that would be a nice little find for the fish as that bullpen starts to come together with some of those pieces. Bender as well. You got to look at even Paul Campbell, Zach Pop have both been great down the stretch here. They just need some veterans to slot into the back. So with Thompson pitching tomorrow... He's another arm where a strong finish would be quite helpful for them because then he'd have a larger sample size. Right now, Thompson has amassed 10 starts, pitched to a 3.09 ERA, 46 and two-thirds innings, 45 Ks, 1.18 whip. Really solid numbers across the board. You start compiling 15 to 16 starts. I think he'll finish around 14 to 15 starts with numbers similar to that. I know his last couple starts haven't been great. He's gone five and two thirds against the Yankees. One run ball. That was good. Then he went four innings of two run ball against the Mets. Not great. And then four innings of four run ball against the Padres. So this is a big bounce back start for him again against a weaker lineup. And it would be great if Thompson could compile a handful of strong starts. If you have an ERA in the low to mid threes, solid strikeout numbers like he's had and a decent whip. He doesn't give up a ton of contact. That's got to be a lot more intriguing to a team that's desperate for pitching like the Angels or even if you're making a deal with another ball club, he's controllable, cheap arm. He's not a spring chicken in terms of other recently called up arms, but he's 27 with a ton of control and seems to be a back end of the rotation type of piece potentially. I would really be Uh, encouraged by that as a potential other team that could be acquiring him looking for a cheaper option both prospect wise and financially that could 
get you out to the back end of your rotation. Thompson could be intriguing if he continues to put together a few more starts. A 14-start sample size is probably enough for a team to be interested. An 8- or 7-start sample size, which it was at the deadline, maybe not as enough. Uh, not enough, excuse me, as it's almost double. It's crazy how quickly uh, those starts can compile. And then the final start of the series is Eliezer Hernandez, who, you know, I'm excited to see him again. He has just been dominant in his rehab appearances. He looked good in the first few innings before going down with that hamstring injury in his big league return. So very excited to see what Eliezer is going to do. And same story with him. If he can continue to churn out some good starts, he's hardly pitched this year and did not throw a ton last year, but when he did, he was good. Obviously, it was a shortened season, but if he's able to make some good starts here down the stretch, could be a good indicator for the Marlins and for other teams as well. The Marlins just have a wealth of pitching right now, especially with the guys that are throwing well in the lower levels. You got Dax Fulton really coming together now and should get called up probably for a high A cameo at some point to make a couple starts, and that'll be a good test for him. And then you got Yuri Perez doing Yuri Perez things. It is very very fun to see what the Marlins are doing right now with their pitching throughout the system. And you got to figure they're going to trade from some of these guys. Kyle Nicholas has been incredible, incredible so far in double A. And then Zach McCambly, who was really struggling, looks really good. And I'm going to talk about his last outing on the other side of the break. Real quickly, a reminder that this episode is brought to you in part by rockauto.com. Why pay 20, 30 or 50% more for the same auto parts from a chain store or a car dealership when you can just go to rockauto.com and use their easy to navigate website to find whatever car parts you need any make or model. Rock Auto is a family business serving the do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, or even that new carpet. Definitely check it out. I mean, if you go to a chain store, a Honda Odyssey fuel pump would be $353. At Rock Auto, just $216. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Also brought to you in part by Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC and MMA action. Before next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all of the great sporting news. Sign up for bonuses and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get in on the game as teams prep for their playoff pushes head to the website if you use the promo code locked on that's one word locked on you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit that's promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online your online sports book experts so let's discuss a little bit of the offensive side of things and Brian De La Cruz is the first guy I want to talk about because he has shown some good flashes he left the yard for the first time recently he has shown some signs of life he's got some pop with the bat I mean there's definitely some power in there but I just don't know how much he's going to tap into that he seems like a guy that's going to hit the ball on the ground a little bit but he's an above average runner what I really like too and what I've been impressed with is the defense he gets really really good jumps out there no matter where he's playing. He's capable of playing center. He's a plus defender in either corner. The speed, the jumps make him a very viable option. But what I like about De La Cruz is he's just a better offensive choice and a better offensive option than most of your other fourth outfielders, which is really good. And the flip side of that too is that he's also still projectable. He could figure it out. He's 24 years old and has had this magical year in AAA before getting the move up for the Marlins. 
This is a player that I want to see out there almost every day that is possible. I want to see as many at-bats as we can here. He's at 45 at-bats, 47 plate appearances. He hasn't walked at all, and that's something that I, I want to keep an eye on. But for the most part here, like I don't want to see... If it's an option right now of Jorge Alfaro or De La Cruz, like, please just put De La Cruz out there. I know you can do both sometimes, but if there is the option between those two and you've got to fit one or the other in the lineup, put De La Cruz out there. Let's see what he can do. He's 24 years old instead of Jorge Alfaro, who I know he's been swinging it better since he has been moved to the outfield, and I'm sure that helps a little bit. But I don't believe in Jorge Alfaro still. I I mean, I don't know if anybody else is starting to magically believe in this guy because he's swinging it a little bit in the outfield. But it's just not going to happen for me. I, I just don't see it. He has had some bigger hits, but he also is still struck out eight times in his last 15 at bats with zero walks. Eight Ks, 15 at bats, zero walks. I mean, how much pressure is that putting on his bat to produce? And do you really want pressure on his bat to consistently make contact? It's not going to happen. And when he does make contact, yes, he does make an impact, but he's going to strike out a ton. He's never going to walk. And now you're putting a subpar defender out there in left field. I think he can learn a little bit. He is a good athlete. But if we think that he's going to go out there and by next year, be a great defender and left or even be an average one. It's just not going to happen. And we're watching him out there. He looks like a catcher in the outfield. He looks like an athletic catcher in the outfield. I mean, he tried to barehand a ball and throw it on the run to second, and it wasn't even close. And then you see him tracking the ball. He looks lost. He looks like he needs a map. I just don't like it. I really don't like it. I understand the Marlins have nothing to lose with the experiment, but I don't even believe in the bat. So if I don't believe in the bat, and I guess the Marlins still do a little bit. Like, why are we experimenting with this guy in another position like he's some sort of really exciting offensive prospect too? I know he has power, but I don't really care anymore. I really don't. And I would rather see what Brian De La Cruz, a true outfielder who's good defensively and had great numbers in AAA and is 24 years old and a good athlete as well, that's somebody I'd rather see what he can do instead of this science experiment with Jorge Alfaro in left field. That's just where I stand on it. I can understand the perspective of people saying like, okay, what did the Marlins have to lose here? The season's lost. Uh, Alfaro has ridiculous power and he's a good athlete. Sure. But that approach is never going to play at the big league level. It's just not going to. And it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed at all. I was pounding on the desk for the Marlins to go with another option coming into this year. I think it would have helped them immensely given that they They've had the worst production from the catching position, as I said it would happen coming into this year. And I don't like to do the I told you so thing, because I think a lot of people are on the same page as I was on that. It's just so baffling to me that the Marlins could go into the season with that catching situation and say, all right, here we go. This should be just fine. We made the playoffs last year. We should get back there. I mean, the way I can wrap it up here, because I know I talk about these catchers way too much, but the way I wrap it up here is that... If you were not confident enough in your catcher to start him in the postseason, and I know Chad Wallach was on a great streak of calling games or whatever, but still, that doesn't matter. It's the playoffs, and it's Chad Wallach. If you're starting Chad Wallach in every game of your postseason run, you should not then start said catcher the next year and say, okay, we're ready to go. We want to get back to the playoffs. 
How does that make any sense? You weren't confident enough just a few months ago to start that guy in the postseason even once and hardly ever even pinch hit him. He almost never saw the field. And then now you're going to say, okay, here's our starting catcher for the next season. Let's get back to the playoffs. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. And to act like you're remotely surprised that he struggled. And even if you're going to do that, how about you go get a better backup? Nope. They get Sandy Leone, who is the worst qualified hitter. That's not an exaggeration. The worst qualified hitter in Major League Baseball. What were you expecting? Uh, What were you expecting? And I wasn't planning on talking about that, but as I start talking about Jorge Alfaro in left field, it's just going to trigger me into that. So sorry about that. But let's talk some Dilla Cruz because to wrap up on him, I love the athleticism. I love the defense. And the Marlins have a big league piece here. That's, That's the fact of the matter. They have a big league piece here. Maybe the offense needs to come around a little bit, which is why I want to see him out there every single day. And if he's even a 700 OPS guy, or right now he's a 676 OPS guy, and he's going to be better than this because we're already seeing him put together some better at-bats, that is a really, really good fourth outfielder. And again, at 24 years old, has a chance to be more than that. So a good piece here for the Marlins to be able to get for rental in Yimmy Garcia. So I really liked that trade, even though it was not the most exciting in the world. And for the catching position, I am glad the Marlins went and got Alex Jackson. Like he has not been good. I know he hasn't been good, but I'm glad they went out and got a couple different catchers to just kind of bolster the position in the system, give them a little bit more of a possibility of having something work out, right? You throw three darts at the wall, it's better than throwing a dart with no end on it, because that's what I would call Jorge Alfaro playing this season. It was a dart with no end on it. It wasn't going to stick to anything, even if you hit the bullseye. These guys, there's a chance that you could. It's slim, but there's a chance. I mean, Alex Jackson was a former first round pick, and he's still way younger. He's, what, 24, 25 years old. Uh, I think with his power profile, he's got some similarities to Alfaro, given that he's got some swing and miss and a good power profile, but Alex Jackson actually plays defense as well, so that definitely helps, and you could have a backup catcher here in the worst-case scenario with Alex Jackson, which I don't think is a bad backup catcher. A good defender, calls a good game, and has good power. Like That's still a solid backup catcher in the worst case. I think the Marlins still need to address that position coming into the year, and I think that the moves that they made, even though Nick Fortes was swinging it well at points this year, to go get two catchers that are kind of on a similar projection, I'd say that Alex Jackson has a much higher ceiling, especially with the numbers that he put up in AAA this year. They're pretty ridiculous. But with some of the other acquisitions they've made, I would say that uh, it's probably a little bit of a a telling situation there of how they feel about Fortes and his future, uh, even though he has been uh, a pleasant surprise with how he's been able to swing it a little bit this year. Uh, But that's definitely the takeaway there. Quickly wanted to talk about Zach McCambly as well. You know, I'm a big Zach McCambly fan, and it's been a bit of a struggle for him in double A, which is normal. I mean, this is his first professional season and he was so good in high A, he gets a fast track to double A and it was a couple tough starts for him. The fastball is going to get hit from time to time, especially when he's not locating it well and the secondaries aren't on. He really needs that change up to come along, but in the first couple starts, he was going more fastball curveball. His curveball is a plus pitch. It is a phenomenal curveball, maybe the best in the Marlins system, but he cannot just lean on that pitch exclusively. Uh, You're going to have hitters just waiting on the fastball. You're going to have to locate that curveball for a strike, which is really hard with the amount of break that it has. So this last start, he really worked in the changeup way more. And that's a pitch we've talked about time and time again that he's working on. And it looks good. It looked really good in the last outing. You went five innings, no hit ball, seven Ks, I believe, and made that emphasis on the changeup. If that changeup continues to be viable and uh, an option for him, that's going to just make him 
really difficult to hit. With the fastball, that is 92, 90, to, or I would say 92 to 94, maybe at times we'll grab a five. The curveball is a plus pitch, and then the changeup is usable. That is a really good arsenal for him. And I think with the command that he has, I know the command has been inconsistent so far in double A, but he's got great command. I think it's more of a matter of him just trying to be too careful. That is a great, great sign this last start for McCambly and get some momentum down the stretch here as well. Kyle Nicholas getting the call up into double A and just been trusting his stuff. He has been just blowing hitters away. It has been fun to watch Kyle Nicholas as well. I mean, the Marlins just killed last year's draft. Think about it. Max Meyer, then you have McCambly, Nicholas, Jake Eater, just crazy. You pair all of that young pitching that really panned out uh, so far in last year's draft with what the Marlins have been able to do development-wise this year and to have guys like Zach Thompson perform, to have even somebody like Eliezer Hernandez who emerged in the last year and a half, uh, even a Cody Petit that I know he's been hurt but has emerged as even a decent uh, type of fifth starter. It's just been amazing to see all of these starting pitchers for the Marlins and then to go get a Jesus Lazardo in a trade for a rental even though it was a very good rental in Starling Marte. It's just a wealth of pitching right now. And then you have the players like Dax Fulton. Oh, how could I forget him from the 2020 draft too? Why, why would I forget Dax Fulton? That's just insane. Dax Fulton into that group as well. Absolutely unreal. And then you got Yuri Perez doing what he's doing as well. I mean, you got to trade from this pitching this offseason. And I know they're going to, but they could legitimately, legitimately put together a package for anybody, anybody that's available in baseball. Obviously, Mike Trout's not available, but you could put together a package for a Jose Ramirez. It would hurt. It would be a lot. But like, is it worth it? Maybe. It might just be. And the Marlins would still have a ton of pitching. They could go get Jose Ramirez and still have so much pitching from the big leagues and the system. And you could probably trade one of your big league arms and a couple prospects and be in good shape still and get a Jose Ramirez who's affordable, has two years of, I believe, 13 to $15 million each of the next two years. That's very affordable. And you can try to work out an extension over those two years with Ramirez and the Marlins wouldn't really feel it that much. I mean, it would be, they'd have to give up some studs, but I still think they'd be just fine system-wise. It's worth it's worth thinking about. It really is. And I'm not sure if Cleveland is a type of team that maybe wants more offensive prospects with their ability to draft and get arms as well, but the Marlins could put together quite the package of pitching for Cleveland, which we do know they like arms. It depends which side they feel about that, whether they love to go get arms that are super projectable and feel like they can unlock even more, or they'd rather go go find their own arms themselves and let you ship them there. Uh, some hitting prospects, but the Marlins don't really have a wealth of that as much either. Uh, last thing I wanted to mention is Peyton Burdick is on a heater. He just has not slowed down, but also J.J. Bleday starting to swing it really well. And Griffin Conine hitting home run number 30. He becomes the only Marlins prospect since John Carlos Stanton to hit 30 home runs uh, under the age of 25. Because you could go Dallas McPherson. He hit 42 when he was like 28 years old and uh, already played several years in the big leagues. He did that in AAA for the Marlins in the PCL in 2008. Don't really count that, even though that's an absurd season at any level. But for Griffin Conine to join now John Carlos Stanton and Mike Stanton at the time, it's the only Marlins prospect to slug 30 home runs. Very exciting. And you got to be you got to be excited about what Griffin Conine's doing. I know the swing and miss is there, but you got to be excited. 
Boudet turning the corner is a great sign, and Burdick is looking like a dude, a legitimate dude, and that's exciting as well. So the bats have been coming around a little bit. Cameron Meisner has been swinging it well, also on a nice little streak offensively too. So some good signs of life down the stretch here for some of these Marlins prospects. That'll do it for today's episode. I hope you have a great weekend, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you. I'm going to do an episode this weekend, so I'll talk to you at some point. But have a happy Friday, and I'll talk to you this weekend.